With the Bible reading today, the disciples have just been sent out on their first ever short-term mission trip, and they've just returned. So we're reading from Luke chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. On their return, the apostles told him all that they'd done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now, the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. Right, uh, the, the feeding of the 5,000, it, it, it's very well known. Um, the reason for that, it's recorded in all four of the Gospels. And there's a few minor differences between each of the Gospels because that's what happens with eyewitness testimony. They, every eyewitness remembers something a little bit different. And each of the four Gospels themselves have slightly different focuses. But when it comes to the feeding of the 5,000, they all agree on the guts of the story. Luke, by the way, which we're studying at the moment, is the longest of all of the Gospels. But when it comes to the feeding of the 5,000, I think it might be the shortest account of the feeding of the 5,000. Luke is very matter-of-fact. He doesn't try to interpret it for us. He doesn't try to tell us a deeper meaning. He just simply recounts what happened. And for many people, that's the bit that they have trouble with, believing that the feeding of the 5,000 actually happened. And so some folk try to explain it away, and there's heaps of explanations. Probably the most common one would be, oh, you know, all those people came and they did actually have food with them, but they tucked it away in their pockets because they didn't want to have to share it. And then when the disciples come out and started distributing the tiny little bit that they have, well, they were sort of shamed into having to share what they had as well. And like people come up with all of these explanations. Why do they do that? I mean, not one of the Gospels give any hint of that. Why do folk try to explain this miracle away? It's because it's a miracle. And that's the whole point. It's a miracle. Why do people want to try and explain miracles away? It's because they don't want to have to believe in God. Or if they do believe in God, they don't want to believe that God has supernatural power to be able to intervene into their world. Some folk just want to boil Jesus down to being a nice guy, to being a nice chap who taught us to love one another. And yes, he is that. But he's much more than that. 
And that's exactly what these four eyewitness testimonies are telling us. Jesus intervened into the natural physical world and he brought, brought fish and bread into being that did not previously exist. Now, I don't have a problem with that because that's what God does. And I don't have any trouble with this because we're, we're told in the scriptures that Jesus was there at creation. Do you know what he was doing there at creation? Creating. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, who, who do you think the us is? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God, three but one, doing what God does, creating. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it tells us that by Christ Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. Now, if Jesus created the universe, is it any trouble for Jesus to rustle up a bit of extra tucker for the uninvited visitors? Of course not. And so Luke's account of feeding the 5,000 is more about the power and the authority of Jesus. And so it just fits right into this section that we've been reading over the last few weeks. Um, the section which had about the calming of the storm and the driving out of the legion of demons and the healing of the woman who touched Jesus' garment in the crowd and the raising of Jairus' daughter back to life again. And now we've got the multiplication of the bread and the fish and all of this is building up to the grand finale, which we're going to get to next week, where Jesus asks his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you're the Christ of God. It's about the power and the authority and the divinity of Jesus. Divinity is simply godness, right? It means that Jesus is God. All right, so how does it unfold? The disciples have just gotten back from a short-term mission trip. When Jesus sent them out on that trip, he said, don't take anything with you. Don't take any food. Don't take any money. Don't take a port with you. You're not even going to need a change of clothes. You see, Jesus was wanting them to experience what it was like to be completely dependent upon God. God would provide for their needs. And then when they came back, they told Jesus everything that, had, that they'd done on their mission trip and obviously, God had come through for them. God had provided for them because Jesus sent 12 of them out. 12 of them returned. Not one of them had starved to death. And, and as they shared their experiences, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that this would have been a pretty exciting thing for them as they shared with one another and as they shared with Jesus the amazing things that God had done with them and through them and for them. And after they'd given this report, Jesus then took them and they withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Now, Bethsaida was a fishing village on the north shore of the Lake Galilee. Uh, only they obviously didn't stay in the town itself because we're told that they withdrew and we're told that they're in a desolate place. It's like Jesus wanted to get it away from it all and so he took them out bush. Now, as I was reading commentaries, just about every commentary would say, 
oh, the, the, the disciples had had such a busy time on that mission, Jesus decided that they had to go away and have a break. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us that anywhere. The Bible simply tells us that Jesus took them and they withdrew to this quiet, desolate place. Took them bush. But the thing is, when the crowds heard where Jesus was, they followed him there. It wasn't, obviously wasn't isolated enough. Maybe if he took them somewhere like Walgett, nobody would have wanted to come and visit. But, but there, out in the bush there, yes, they came. Now, this bit gets me thinking. What would ministry professionals of today think about this? See, when I was training for the ministry, we were told many, many times, you've got to set boundaries in ministry. You, and, and, and as part of that, you need to have a set day off. And don't let anything get in the way of that day off. Um, you need to have an answering machine so that you can put the phone on the answering machine and that means that nobody will be able to ring you that day. And if somebody knocks on your door, don't answer it. You really need to have that day off. Seriously. That, that's seriously what we were taught. Now, where does anyone ever get the idea that as a servant of Jesus... I'm a professional, and so I can be unavailable because I've decided to have a day off. That's just a nonsense. Jesus went out into the middle of nowhere, presumably to have a bit of time out to, to get away from the crowds. You know what? Sometimes when I plan to have a day off, God has other ideas, and that's okay because he's God and I'm not. And so when the crowds arrived, did Jesus say, oh look, go away. I'm having a day off today. Come back tomorrow or the next day because today's my day off. Did he say that? No, the exact opposite. He welcomed them and he spoke to them of the kingdom of God. And those who had medical needs, he cured them. And he didn't even try to hurry them off. As, as the day wore on, it, it got so late that the apostles were starting to think, oh, Jesus, I think you should be sending them on their way. I mean, they're going to be hungry. They're going to need a place to stay. There is a lot of them. Uh, they're going to have to spread out, spread out amongst all of the other villages and the farms because not one village is going to be able to cater for all these people. There's, there's, and there's nothing here. See, they were worried that someone is going to have to provide for this mob. But hang on a minute. Aren't these apostles the ones who had just learned about the provision of God? When Jesus had sent them out on mission, don't take anything with you, God's going to provide for you. When Jesus sent his disciples out on mission... They had an opportunity to experience for themselves the provision of God. And that provision came through the generosity of God's people. But now, Jesus is taking their dependence on God to a whole new level. There is one level where you will be received and you will be provided for by God. But this new level, Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. What? That's crazy talk. I mean, we've only got five loaves and two fish. There's 5,000 men here, plus women and children. 
And that's all we've got, unless you want us to go and buy Tucker for them. But can you imagine the impossibility of that? So we're talking about, what, two times the population of St George. And I see the food roll in to St George. It comes in on road trains. So where were they going to find that much food? How much was it going to cost them? How were they going to transport it all out into the middle of nowhere? But Jesus meant what he said. You give them something to eat. And this is the amazing thing that God does. He chooses to do his work through his people. Jesus could have done it himself easily. He could have turned the stones into bread. He could have made manna come down from heaven. He could have fed the people on quail like, like the people of Israel were fed out in the desert. But Jesus chose to involve his disciples in what he was doing. And for the disciples, that meant that they were going to have to step out in faith like they'd never done before. You see, if they held on to what they had, they probably would have had enough tucker to feed themselves for a couple of days. But if they distributed it amongst the crowds, what, what good would that have done anyone? Not, not one person would have got enough to eat and it would take away their supply for the next couple of days. Why would they share what they have? And sometimes we can be a bit like that. Sometimes we want to hold on to the little bit we have when God is saying, give it away. Use it for me. And we might justify it in our minds. Like there's, there's a massive need out there. The little bit that I have, that's not going to make any difference. But if I hold on to it myself, it'll make a big difference to me. And, and we feel we can't afford to give what we have. So you know what? Every time that I've given generously, I've never gone wanting. Have you? And a godly farmer might say, you know, some folk tell me that they can't afford to tithe. But God can easily make up for a tithe. An extra 20 mil of rain at the critical time, that's worth way more than a tithe. God always provides. And that's what the disciples were going to learn here. But it was going to take faith. Jesus told them what they had to do, and they did it. Firstly, get everyone to sit into groups of about 50. Now, I don't know why he said that. It might have been just to make it easier to distribute stuff evenly. Um, it certainly made it easier to know what numbers he was catering for. If you put them into groups of 50, oh, there's 100 groups, must be 5,000 people here. Anyway, that's what they did. They broke them into groups of about 50 and had them sit down. And then Jesus said grace. He, he took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. And then he broke the bread up and gave it to the disciples to distribute it. Now, are you following the maths on this? Five loaves to be shared amongst 100 groups. That means every loaf of bread would have had to been divided into about 20. So that's the equivalent of about one slice of bread to be shared amongst 50 people, which is 
about the size of a scary piece of bread you'd get in a communion service, right? And the disciples did this. Now, nowhere are we told at which point the food was multiplied. But when the food was distributed, everyone ate until they'd had enough. And then the the leftovers were all picked up and there were 12 baskets of broken pieces left over, right? So each each of the apostles handed out about eight small slices of bread. And then they get, each apostle gathered up a whole basket of leftovers. And that was after everyone had been satisfied. There's no doubt about this. What had happened was a miracle. It was a miraculous multiplication of the food that was there. Now, this has happened before. The prophet Elijah spoke the word of God and a drought came upon the land. And during that drought, he lived by a brook and the ravens brought him food. Now, I'm not too sure how keen I'd be on on eating food that a raven brings, knowing that they mostly feed on carrion, but, but that's what it was. But then when the brook dried up, God sent him to go and find a widow, a particular widow. And when he did, when he met her, she told Elijah that 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 night she was just about to cook up the last of the flour and the last of the oil that she had. She's going to make it into a little cake for her and her son to eat. And that was the end of it in this massive drought. So she was going to share that with her son, knowing that in the next morning there would be nothing left in the cupboard and that she and her son would begin the number of weeks it would take to starve to death. And Elijah said to that woman, do not fear, go and do exactly what you've said. Make that little cake, but don't eat it, bring it to me. Use up that flour to make that cake, bring it to me. And once you've brought it to me, then you can go and make a cake for you and your son. Because God's not going to let that flour or that oil run out until the drought breaks. And that's what she did. And she kept using the flour and there was always flour left. And she kept using the oil and there was always oil left. Now the point of this is the provision of God. But it's a provision that took faith. At the word of God, the widow took the last meal that she and her son had available to her and she gave it to someone else. And the miracle of God is that God provided for her for many days. The disciples, at the word of Jesus, took what food they had and gave it away. And 5,000 hungry men ate until they were full And then they gathered up the leftovers and there was a whole basket full for each disciple. See, the provision of God is something that comes with faith. It's not about God miraculously making us super wealthy. It's about God always providing us with enough. Because that's all you need is enough, is it not? you need more than enough? No, you don't. And neither do I. It's about us being generous with what we have. And God will always ensure that we have enough. 
Now, for those disciples, yeah, if they held on to it, they would have had enough for at least a couple of days. But I bet they're glad they didn't hold on to it. Because if they held on to that instead of sharing it, then they never would have gotten to experience the amazing work of God like they did. Getting involved in the work of God like they did, that's, that's something which is really amazing. It's mind-blowing stuff. It's stuff that they would remember and did remember for years. Jesus did something really amazing that day and he did it through his disciples. What amazing thing does God want to do through you? Yes, if we hold on to what we have, we'll probably have enough. But the greater blessing is to be involved in the work of God. The greater blessing is to use what we have generously for the work of God and we'll still have enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who provides. You know exactly what we need and you'll always provide us with what we need. Lord, how wondrous it is that, that even though you can do whatever you like all by yourself, more often than not, you choose to involve your people. And what a blessing that is. As, as we give away what we have, knowing that you will always provide what we need. And this to be to your glory. It isn't any surprise to us that, that the miraculous is achieved through the word of Jesus because that's what our God does. And Lord, we are very aware that, that we as Christians live in a, a very wealthy country. And we pray for your people in other lands who do hunger this day. They hunger because of war. They hunger because of poverty. They hunger because of disaster. And some hunger because of persecution. And Lord, we pray that you would provide for their needs. Heavenly Father, open our hearts and give us generous hearts to hear your words as you said to those disciples that day, you give them something to eat. As we take from our excess and provide for those who have nothing, give us hearts of compassion and love. In Jesus' name. Amen.